go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So... Maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jalenta. Hey, Kristen. It's been one week since we lived by the salsa of rage. What? And you know what that means. No. I'm sorry. I'm at the dance of anger. Right. <laughs> and it's time for another By the Book mini episode, of course. Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help. That's right, it's time for another Buy the Book epilogue. This week, we're hearing from all of you out there about our most recent book, The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner. But before we get to this week's responses from our listeners, we're once again putting the book into some historical context with our friend, the historian Trish Travis. Reminder, Professor Travis is a 20th century U.S. cultural and literary historian with a focus on gender and popular culture. Her subspecialties are the history of medicine with a focus on therapy, addiction and recovery, and, of course, our favorite subject, self-help. Professor Travis, welcome back to the show. We're so glad to have you here. Absolutely. Happy to be here. We are dying to hear about the 80s. Please, please tell us what was happening when this book was released. Why are we dancing so angry? So this decade is sort of the third act in a play that began two episodes ago with the 60s. I think more so than the previous three episodes, the episodes of the 60s, 70s, and 80s are really connected to one another. Mm -hmm. The three books couldn't be more different, but weirdly they are all part of the same sort of series of events that unite these three decades in very complicated ways. The 1980s is really the beginning of now in a lot of ways, if we think in an economic perspective. Yeah. It's the end of the Great Society programs that were created in the 60s by Kennedy and Johnson and the beginning of the Reagan-era neoliberal cutbacks to the social safety net. It's the beginning of the move towards the income inequality that structures our lives today. And it's the beginning of a movement, and I'll give Reagan credit for this as well, into a highly polarized climate of liberal versus conservative in the culture wars. So there is, I I said at the start of this, that the 80s is a continuation of and strongly connected to the preceding decades. In another way, it's an important break from those decades. 
And that gives me my first word of the two I've got for this episode. And that word is backlash. Mm. Oh, I love backlashes. So one of the reasons for this backlash is because of the success of organized feminism, which we talked about in the last two episodes. By the 1980s, you've got two decades of formal feminist agitation for equality, and that had brought serious gains to women. Women had gained a lot of equality under the law. For example, by the mid-80s, marital rape had been outlawed in most states. I see that as a big win for the women's movement. Mm. Women had better guarantees to uh, access to education and to the workplace. So organized feminism uh, of the 60s and 70s had created real progress. That's why there needed to be a backlash against it, because (laughs) it was working too well. So you get a sort of political and public backlash against organized feminism at the same time that women are coming into maturity with changed ideas about what's possible to them. That's going to create friction. That's going to create anger. At the same time, I think a similar set of changes brought about by feminist, maybe not the feminist movement and feminist agitation, but the percolation out into the broader culture of feminist ideas has given women changed expectations for interpersonal relationships, interpersonal relationships in the workplace, but also in their private lives, including in their relationships with woke hippie men who read (laughs) The Joy of Sex but can't share the housework with you. There are going to be heightened expectations for equality at home because there are now heightened possibilities for equality in public. So both of these things unite to create a set of raised expectations on the part of women that when they are not met with open arms by the men in the private or the public sphere are going to create a lot of anger. So I would say the 80s is an important decade for men feeling like women have taken too much, (laughs) women feeling like they're just getting ready to start asking for all that they need, And the meeting of those two things is going to create major friction. Mm. Learner's book is an attempt to help people negotiate that friction. It's important in part because it acknowledges that that friction is there. Right. And it acknowledges that the way it works out often unfolds along very gendered lines and that reducing it or eliminating it is going to involve undoing some old understandings of the female role that you may be carrying around back from the time you were reading Phyllis Diller. So backlash is the sort of cultural formation of the 80s that I think it's important to think about when we think about anger and the need to dance with it. Hmm. And the other word comes from learner's background. It's interesting to me that um, this is the first book by a professional psychologist that you all have read this season. It's the only only one I think we're uh, going to talk about. And the difference in the way Lerner talks about selves and the interaction between selves is really palpable to me. The book comes off the page different. You all talked about how different it is to read. Mm-hmm. It's articulate. It's intelligent. It seems much more sort of grounded in a, a serious existing body of knowledge about how people behave and why they behave the same the way they do. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. that brings me to my second um, word that I think is really interesting. And that second word is boundaries. Mm. Oh, I like it. I think that in a backlash era, setting boundaries became a more important thing for women to do because we're talking about a generation that in many ways, I'm thinking about my mom here, had grown up under the impression that if they were not a nice girl, nothing good would ever happen to them. And in fact, all bad things would happen to them. Mm -hmm. A little bit of feminist consciousness in the 70s emboldens a lot of women who were brought up that way to start trying to do business a little bit differently. But a big backlash against that in the 80s makes you, that always makes you unsure. Oh, maybe those new ideas I got actually won't work. Maybe I need to default to doing what my grandmother told me to do. Maybe this whole feminist thing is wrong and I need to sort of fall back to what's always worked in the past since that's what all the dudes in my life are telling me I need to do. The need to set boundaries to keep that bullshit out of your head and the ability to set boundaries in such a way that men would listen to you and continue to take you seriously, those are really important life skills for women in the 80s. They've continued into the present. <laughs> I would be say. like, now to. And it's really interesting the way in which the set of things she's suggesting are so different from Phyllis Diller. <laughs> Phyllis Diller's all about setting up boundaries. And they're lies. Right. Tell they're lies all sort of the, a, it's a, all duplicitous. a farce for an impression. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's totally duplicitous. It's about gaming the system, the system meaning the man in your life, yes. in order to win a little space of freedom for yourself. Yeah. But it's and not overthrowing the system. No, it is, it is subversive, like yeah. we said in that episode, yeah. That's right, because winning a space of freedom for yourself when you're a prisoner is a huge win. And right. we should never discount the value of that for people who, are in fact, are prisoners. At the same time, there's a psychic cost to that, which um, Diller doesn't acknowledge. Right. Lerner is concerned about the psychic costs that women pay when in an unfree situation, they are constantly forced to play a role mm-hmm. in order to win tiny increments of psychic freedom for themselves. Right. When they can't, they can't get real freedom, nor are they willing um, to pay the cost of uh, trying to explode the prison that they're in. And I think this becomes more and more complicated for women in the 1980s as they advance in workplaces where, speaking of the unfinished business we Mm. talked about last time, just because there are protections on the books and in the law for uh, equal treatment of women in the workplace, that doesn't mean it's happening every day. So the ability to negotiate these hostile, unfree spaces with tools that will keep you from going crazy— is an incredibly important skill in the 80s. What's sad is that it continues to be so important today, Mm -hmm. um, but at least now we get a sense of where it came from. On that note, thank you so much, Professor Travis, for yet another just illuminating conversation. We always learn so much talking with you. We could talk with you all day long, all day and all night. So um, we'll hang up on this call now, but uh, listeners aren't going to hear us, but we're going to just talk with you for 12 more hours. So just be prepared to stay on the phone with us. (laughs) Hope your voice is ready. Okay, that sounds great. I've got a (laughs) bottle of water, so I'm ready to go. Perfect. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but stay with us. When we're back, we'll be hearing from all of you out there who wrote in this week about the Dance of Anger.
Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with listener responses. That's things you guys had to say about the dance of anger. And first up, a lot of you reached out to say that you were already fans of the book. Hey, this is Kirsten. I was thrilled that you chose the dance of anger. I picked up a copy after college and basically actively parented myself with it. My anger had been silenced, stifled, misdirected, and occasionally went nuclear. Not good. Reading this book gave me solid stepping stones to owning my voice. I'm far from perfect. I can still be snarky sometimes. But I now work with my anger to advocate for myself and for causes that matter to me. So three cheers for Harriet Lerner and for you, too. Thank you so much. But, of course, as with all books, not everyone felt the love for this one. My name is Catherine DeBerg, and I am calling from Sacramento, California. And I want to know, did we read the same book? I was so disappointed in this thing. This is a book about clear communication. It's not about anger. That's fine if what you need is a book about clear communication, and I'm glad that you liked it for that reason. But I need a book about how to better get in touch with and express my anger instead of smushing it down until it becomes sadness. To me, reading this book last week in preparation for this podcast, this book wasn't about expressing anger. It was about doing exactly what the patriarchy tells us to do, smile and be nice and speak up only in a way that's not going to intimidate or put off the men in my life. And that's not the book I want. I love these two voicemails because I love that basically people can read the same thing and have such different experiences and outcomes. I feel both of these people, to be honest. Oh, yeah, totally valid. I mean, I I will say that I think that when it comes to actually tapping into anger and expressing it and so on, I don't think this book is trying to take that away Mm. so much as interpret anger as, like, what's at the heart of the anger right. a lot of the and times. And something I try to tell myself a lot, because I very much identify with the second caller about, like, silencing my rage is, like, 100% equal to, like, the patriarchy squashing me, when really it's about learning how to use my rage as an indicator that, like, something's wrong and I'd like to change something, but then being a little more strategic about how I communicate and get an outcome I want, not just, like, broadcast, like, general rage. And people don't love responding to general rage I'm learning. (laughs) It's not just the patriarchy that doesn't like it. Like, women also don't like a blind rage. (laughs) But I also feel that, that impulse to, like, being told to, like, 
change how you approach your anger, especially when you're a woman and you're not supposed to be angry to begin with. Like, it just feels like such a fuck you. Yeah. So, in short, we like both of those responses. Exactly. And we don't necessarily think they contradict each other fully either. Or I don't think they fully It's like two sides of the same coin. Yes. Which is a way of saying, like, totally opposite, but, like, part of the same team. But, of course, everyone's right. <laughs> we're all right, and we're all a coin. We're all both sides. <laughs> oh, Moving but, on. Yes. Some of you feel you may not even need the dance of anger after just hearing Jolent and I live by it. So true. Allison wrote to say, The Dance of Anger episode has validated my approach for trying to resolve issues with my boyfriend of 10 years and my decision to break up. We used to get along so well, but over the past couple of years, things have really deteriorated. He doesn't spend time with me, doesn't listen when I talk, is often resentful if I ask for help with a task. I have tried, without having read the book, all of its advice and more. I've become comfortable with the realization that I've done what I can, and no matter how much I care about him, or if we do have good days, it's just time to let go. You know what? Something I have been accused of saying more than once too freely is, you can break up for any reason you want to. It's true. Yeah, and I have been told by some people, oh, you're way too flippant when it comes to ending relationships. And I don't think that's true personally. Of course, Mm -hmm. I'm biased here. But whatever reason you want to end a relationship— you're allowed to end the relationship. You're allowed to be yeah. in a situation that you want to be in or not be in a situation you don't want to be in. Even if it's been a decade. I love that it's a boyfriend of 10 years because I feel like sometimes if I'm in a longer-term thing, I'll be like, eh, I just put in so much time already. Like, yes. I don't want to Those sunk leave. costs. I don't want It's wanna... comfortable. Yeah, the sunk costs. Like, I've devoted a decade. But it's like, nah, you can move on. Yeah. If you've been waiting for the bus to arrive for the last 10 years, you're allowed to actually go to another corner and take mm-hmm. the other bus if or you want like, to. like, I might just walk. Yeah. Any of those things. It's fine. But in any event, we are glad that this episode helped you get to where you needed to be to make yes. a decision. Because the indecision is frequently just the worst part of, oh, like, totally. how long do I stay in this? Um, and it sounds, Allison, as though you do have some anger over this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Use that anger as a sign of it's time to get out of here. Love it. Next up, we have some thoughts from listeners on... Uh, the food arguments I had with my partner, Brad. Yes. Rebecca says, Jolenta's anger about Brad eating her soup really got to me. I feel you, Jolenta. This was a sore spot for me for many years, culminating in some massive arguments with housemates in a generally otherwise lovely house share where we pooled our groceries. I'd routinely come home to find my leftovers eaten, for example. I realized it all stemmed back to my childhood. Such a cliche, I know. I was a vegetarian in a very meaty family, and my mom, who had significant mental health problems, would constantly eat my vegetarian food, leaving me little to eat or devour a box of cookies before I could have more than one. It made me feel so uncared for and disrespected, as well as hungry. And there was definitely anger, which all came to the surface as an adult. Working out my feelings around that helped me and my housemates negotiate new food-sharing rules. We wanted to share for financial and lifestyle reasons, but I just couldn't do it the way they might have otherwise wanted, and they understood that. Yeah, man. All of our issues go back to childhood, don't they? Yes. And food does, I think, tap into a lot of other bigger stories with us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like everything, family, like it all culminates around food and resources and like feeling heard and seen in regard to resources. Yeah. And identity and body image and a lot of other things that go into it too. I just think it goes much more beyond like, are these nutrients going in my body? Right. Much bigger than that in our society. so bizarre. And I love it. (laughs) 
Uh, Cash wrote us to say, okay, so just finished your latest show, and I'm writing to say, Jolenta, girl, I am so, so proud of you. I am, like you, working on myself. I have anger issues, anxiety, etc. The way you did a total 180 with your attitude and not responding in anger, taking the time to explain your feelings to Brad so calmly, I was blown away. I'm also doing this and have to say I feel so much happier as a person. I don't want to be a shitty person to my boyfriend who gets most of the verbal lashings. Super working on this. I'm actually going to read this book because of your transformation. Kristen, you're already where we are trying to be, so keep it up. You're both awesome. Cash, you're awesome. Cash. Oh, yo, Cash. Anger. So hard. So hard not to just broadcast it at people you live with. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for noticing my hard work. I really appreciate it. I don't always uh, quell that anger, but I'm definitely doing better since we read this book. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm trying. That's Since we read this book and, like, again, all the therapy forever. But, Kristen, I want to talk about you. Yes. A number of people saw themselves in you. Julia wrote us to say... I was, no lie, listening to Kristen talking about working to not be a doormat as I was leaving a therapy session, and I felt, as the kids say, really attacked. (laughs) I'm 37 and only learning this in the past five-ish years, that my worth does not lie in pathological acts of service and giving up my own wants and needs. I want to send Kristen a bunch of flowers and a cake and balloons. Okay, I will accept um, an ice cream cake. Mm-hmm. An ice cream cake is the best cake for any occasion. Hardest cake to send, though. Oh, that's true. That's What's true. What's your flavor? I'm a classic Baskin-Robbins mint chocolate chip ice cream cake, ideally with those little ice cream cone clown on them. You oh, know, yes, yes, yes. Where it's like yes. a clown with the head is a little ice cream cone. And the hat is yeah, actually and the, hat, the cone. And it's like sort of the body's drawn onto the cake. Yeah. I, I do like a Fudgy the Whale cake from mm, Carvel. Classic. Just Partly because one of my nicknames in my family is Fudgy, and <laughs> I'm not gonna ask. I'll ask off mic. <laughs> and Fudgy is so cute. Fudgy is so cute, and is made out of those layers of like essentially. I don't think they call them Oreos, but they're essentially crushed Oreos right, it's inside. It's a sandwich cookie. Oh, so good. So yes, oh. I, I will take that cake, and I will accept your compliments or your feeling of being attacked as a good thing because. Yeah. It's Us never too late. don't like being called out. <laughs> Fuck you. It's nice to um, get past that, and it's nice to be acknowledged for getting yeah. past that. Because for real. Boy, was I a doormat for so long. Well, and also, often when it gets acknowledged, it's by people who are used to you being a doormat, and they're bummed. So it's nice to have it praised. Yes, absolutely. But I do have to say, not everybody this week has praise for me, or specifically for me and Dean Ooh. and our interactions in the episode. Um, you may recall, we had a little bit of a fight because he wasn't expressing that he didn't necessarily want to leave the house and we left the house and we were running some errands. And he was kind of a bitch. He was, he was a little grumpy about that. And then by the end of the day, actually within a few minutes, he was happy again. And then we had a great day together. But in the episode, I had to go back and because of this book's rules, right, go back and rehash. discuss over and over and over again. And uh, some folks had issues with me or Dean or both Mm -hmm. of us in this. Yeah, Jana wrote to say, I found the Kristen-Dean anger discussion really upsetting. I thought Dean was defensive and clearly angry and used some not very fair arguments, specifically insisting over and over again how most things aren't worth getting angry about, especially when he was clearly using anger to cut a conversation short. 
Also, talking about a conflict is not the same thing as fighting. Sure, you don't have to be available to talk about everything all the time, but claiming that talking about something is the same as dragging on the fight is not fair and not productive and shuts down somebody's attempt at communication. Laura, however, had a totally different take on our conflict. She says, I felt so bad for Dean in this episode. People are allowed to occasionally be grumpy for a few minutes and not have that grumpiness rehashed over and over and over again. By both Dean and Kristen's admission, his bad moods are extremely rare, and there's no larger underlying issue behind them. So why dissect them to death? I am grumpy way more often than Dean, and I think if my partner forced me to deconstruct every grumpy mood the way this book made Kristen dissect things with Dean, I would feel attacked, condescended to, gaslit, and yes, very angry. Damn, so polarizing (laughs) again. Yes. I totally see both sides. Like, I would want, like, a grumpy moment to just be able to live in the moment and be like, whoops, sorry, I was a grump. But also, I worry that Dean doesn't want to talk about anything negative to his own detriment sometimes. But that's just me projecting, probably. (laughs) Um, I I would also say both those things are true. I think, I mean, I feel that if we were actually working on a bigger issue or if there was something bigger behind it, other than I'm grumpy for 10 minutes, it would be... Other than, like, our schedules were shitty and we didn't communicate it about it properly and I, like, committed to something I didn't want to do and then got over it. Yeah, but because it was such a minor issue... I kind of agree more with the second letter. Yeah, it does feel like a rehash because of the subject matter for sure. Yeah, but if it was a bigger, deeper issue, yeah, I agree with the first letter. If we were dealing with bigger issues. Right, if it was like we have this uh, disagreement over and over again, let's get underneath it. But it was like not maybe the time. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about your thoughts on whether Dean is right and some things are not worth getting angry over. And, as always, we're also going to announce next week's book. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we are back with some final thoughts on anger and specifically whether it's always a valid emotion. Kate says, 
Bravo, Kristen, and Jolenta on your recent episode on the dance of anger. Acknowledging our feelings takes practice, and anger needs to be acknowledged like any other emotion. As a parent of two young kids, I have noticed a trend in kids' entertainment of characters acknowledging their anger. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood has two episodes dedicated to helping kids express their anger, just like Mr. Rogers did decades ago. In Frozen 2, Olaf talks about feeling angry for the first time, and Anna tells him that he has every right to be angry. Olaf also says in the movie, you feel what you feel and your feelings are real. Anger is real and totally worth our time to express. I put the dance of anger on hold at the library and am eager to pick it up. Feelings are real. I love it. Freaking Olaf. <laughs> Take it from a snowman. Love it. Diane, another listener, agrees, but only to a point. She says, I think I fall in Dean's camp when it comes to anger. Not everything is worth getting angry over. And if we're more in touch with our feelings, we'll realize that what we often identify as anger is actually a sense of insecurity, fear, jealousy, sadness, shame, or something else that's just as valid as anger. I wish we'd spent more time teaching this to men in our society in particular. Boys are raised to accept only a handful of feelings in themselves, anger being one of them. And how much better would our society and the men in power be if they also admitted, no, I'm not mad, I'm actually embarrassed or uncomfortable or what have you? Yes. How do you feel about this, Jolenta? I feel Do you feel agree like more with Diane or with Kate? With both. I feel like we need to learn how to identify feelings, period, as a society, because somehow we've equated success with, like, pretending everything is awesome. And it's not, and that's fine. But I think a lot of problems we have in the world all come down to not being able to identify our freaking feelings. Yeah, I really love the end of Diane's letter where she's like, what about just acknowledging sometimes we're embarrassed or uncomfortable? Yeah. no, I know. And rather than acting out in a blind rage and just saying, oh, no, I'm not angry. This is something else, but it's something I'm ashamed to admit. Right. People are not ashamed to admit their, well, I should say this is very gendered, at least in American society. Men are never embarrassed to admit they're angry. Exactly. And maybe men should be taught there's more to a lot of things you're identifying as uh, anger. Uh, true. I mean, we can't change society, but we can read a book. <laughs> Speaking of books, we have one last response by an author that we wanted to read to you guys. Yes, and that author is one Harriet Lerner, author of The Dance of Anger. She reached out to us on Facebook real quick to say, thanks for choosing The Dance of Anger. Love your podcast. And with her comment, she attached a photo of a baby sort of chewing on her book. We don't know if this baby is her inner child. It could be a grandchild. It could be a baby off the street. We don't know. <laughs> but it is a cute baby. And we will repost to all of our socials so you can see the fact that authors like us. Yay. Harriet Lerner, thank you so much for writing to us, for sending that photo along. Um, and for writing your book. Yes, absolutely. Kristen, should we announce our next book? Oh, yeah. I think it's that time. I think it's the time when we do that. It is. Our, our next, next book is... Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. Do we have to eat cheese? What about that kind of cheese that you squeeze into your mouth out of a can? Does this book apply to people who are lactose intolerant? Listen next week to find out. <laughs> And that's it for this mini episode of By the Book. Huge, huge thank you to our fabulous production team at Stitcher, our producer, Nora Ritchie, our engineer, Andy Christens, our chief content officer, Chris Bannon, and of course, our executive producer, Daisy Rosario. 
Thanks also to Joshua Mills, who helps us with our interviews with Professor Trish Travis. And thanks to Nate Wyda, who composed our theme song, Jared Arnold, who produced this season's new version of the theme song, and our very own producer, Nora Ritchie, for singing this season's theme song. Remember, if you like our show, we have another show. It's a makeover show for your heart. It's called We Love You and So Can You. There's advice. There's spying on people's intimate moments. There's love. There's laughter. There's tears. There's too many puns. Get on it. (laughs) And of course, please stay in touch. Let us know if you've lived by The Dance of Anger or any other book that we've lived by on the show. Also, send us any suggestions or questions regarding future books for us to live by. You can hit us up at our email address, kristinangelenta at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs on Instagram, at ByTheBookPod. You can tweet at us, at ByTheBookPod, at Kristen Meinzer, or at Jalenta G. And if you want your sweet, sweet voice on one of these mini-episodes, hit up our phone number and leave us a message. It's 302 302- Four nine books. What's the real number, Kristen? That would be 302-492-6657. And please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other people find the show. It's kind of like when you're looking for a great restaurant to eat at and there's zero reviews. I'm like, am I going to eat at that like, restaurant? I don't trust that restaurant. No, no one's been there yet. No. I want to eat at the restaurant where there are lots of fabulous reviews, the kinds of reviews that you out there want to leave for us. Until next time, I'm Jalinda Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. So good. I know. I was yeah. like, I need to go to school, I think, again. <laughs> well, I'm I'm teaching a class this semester called What is a Man? So, oh, shut uh, up. So I, am. Oh, I would have signed up for that so hard. Stitcher. Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And How to Be Fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine.